Well, thank you guys for that, and thank you for our music team this morning. Would you just give one more round of applause for both? And welcome to First Missionary Church. I want to take a, a moment to pray, uh, not just for the balcony people, but also to pray uh, for, uh, I do love you guys, by the way, also to pray for some of our volunteer opportunities coming up. Uh, we have VBS coming up, and we could still use 10 to 15 more adults, so uh, be praying for that. And, and also, too, we, we do have needs on Sunday morning for children's ministry. That seems like it's an ever-present need. In any church I've ever been in, we could always use more children's ministry volunteers, uh, then we also have some needs in our technology and sound department on the, the praise team that we have some needs as well. So I want to pray for those, not just that the Lord would raise up from among us people to fill slots, but that people would feel called uh, to do these things and to minister uh, for the kingdom of God in a way that impacts eternity. So would you just close your eyes and bow your heads and let's pray. Father, it is so good to be in your house this morning. Lord, what a reminder as we sang, as we listened, as we prayed Lord, that you are our living hope. Lord, were it not for you, we would be in death. We would be in our sin. We would be on a different direction. So we thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. And right now, Father, I pray for our church family. I pray just for the needs that are open for VBS and for children's ministry on Sunday morning. Lord, as well as back in the sound booth and technology. Lord, I pray that you would raise up just an army of people from our church family who uh, want to serve, not because they have to, but because they get to, because you have done so much in each and every one of our lives. Lord, I pray for upcoming VBS that you would move in a mighty way through that week, that we would see kids uh, profess the name of Christ for the first time. Lord, that, that kids' names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, we pray for that. And we also pray, too, just for any other uh, gaps and holes that we're unaware of, that you would fill those needs. And, and I also pray, too, that there would just be a great sense of one anothering happening at our church that you would constantly put on each and every one of our hearts, uh, somebody that we can reach out to and pray for and love or take a meal over for or just encourage, Lord. I pray that you would knit our hearts together in love uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we commit these things to you. May you fill these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 10. You can also find it in your bulletin. Uh, we're going to look there in just a moment. And on screen, I do have a map of where Paul is writing to. Galatia is in the top area, that top yellowish color. Galatia, where Paul visited this region in Acts 13 and 14 and started many churches in that region. And now in this letter in the New Testament, he is writing uh, to them. And he's very concerned about these people in Galatia because false teachers have come in, uh, they've crept in and said, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised to be saved, which seems weird to us today, but was a big deal then. Or they said, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow the law of Moses in the Old Testament. So it's Jesus plus something else. Believe in Jesus and also work for it. And if you remember last week's passage, Paul says, that's concerning. He says, I'm astonished that you are doing this. You're actually deserting the gospel. This is no gospel at all. And so Paul writes to them now, and he's going to continue that argument in verse 10. And he's going to get very personal to really telling his testimony of why we can trust this gospel that he's talking about. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to read verses 10 through 24. 
By the way, the headings in your Bible are not inspired. I know I'm starting right before a heading in some of our Bibles, and that can bother some people. But just so you know, the headings, the verse numbers are not inspired. It's just all God's word is inspired. So verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from, who does he say? Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, which is a desert region, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, or Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for some more information about Paul's life. And Lord, thank you for how the gospel transforms us. And I pray today that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to hear and understand. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so Paul talks about not necessarily what the gospel is this week. That was more last week. Instead, he talks about how the gospel, this good news of what God has done through Christ changes us, how it transforms us at a personal level, at a heart level. And I found at least three ways that we can relate to, I think, three ways that if we really believe the gospel, that it will impact us and transform us. And so what I'm trying to say is that the gospel, I've said this before, is not just for non-believers, but actually for believers. We need that gospel every day, just as much as someone who doesn't know Christ And one theologian said it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. So with that in mind, let's look at three changes, three changes that'll happen in your life if you really believe the gospel. So number one, if you really believe the gospel, you will trust and treasure God's word. Let's read that together. You will trust and treasure God's word. Now I'll get to this point in a moment, but One of the reasons that Paul is writing what he's writing now, giving us so many personal details, is he wants to prove and respond to all these false teachers that the gospel is real. You can trust it. And so these false teachers who were coming in were discrediting Paul. They were saying things like, well, Paul, come on, buddy, you made it up, right? Or Paul, you must have gotten your gospel, this good news from somebody else, from another source. There's no way that this is from God. Or they might even have said, Paul, uh, you have not confirmed it with the mother church in Jerusalem. 
So we're, we're trying to, it's almost like listening to one side of a telephone conversation here in this letter. We're trying to figure out what are these false teachers accusing Paul of, and I think they're saying at least those three things. And Paul, in his testimony, actually refutes each and every one of those. So for instance, for those guys who said, Paul, you're making it up, look at what he says on screen in verses 13 and 14. He says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and the Jewish faith, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So to hear what Paul is saying, there is no way I'm making this up. I was going one way. I was on the persecution path. I was persecuting the church of God. I was extremely zealous when God interrupted my life and gave me this gospel. How on earth could I make it up? I wasn't even seeking it out, but God was seeking me out. So that's one way he responds to, his, to these false teachers. Others had said that maybe man or other people are giving him this gospel. And he says, no way, because look at verse 17. He says, after he received the gospel, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. And then it's only after three years I went up to Jerusalem. So do you see what Paul is saying? There's no way I got this from another person. You know, he he kind of went, even though he started preaching and ministering in Acts 9, that word Arabia, that's a desert region. We get the impression that Paul, he had some time to think and reflect and be alone with God for a long time to kind of sort out who is this Jesus and what has Jesus done? I mean, just think this guy was going one way, he realizes Jesus is alive and it totally rocked his world, so he would need some time to figure it out. So there's no way, Paul says, that I received this from another human being. By the way, I love that reference to Arabia. You wanna know why? I think that's just a good reminder that, you know, in a culture like our culture, we're always about doing and accomplishing and getting stuff done, which is good, by the way, in some ways. It can be dangerous because Paul reminds us, we need those kind of Arabia-alike experiences. You and I need opportunities to get alone. Probably not in the desert, I wouldn't recommend that, but somewhere alone <laughs> to be with God and commune with God and understand who he is. That is vitally important. And students, I know up here we have a lot of students, never underestimate your time to study right now at this point in your life. When you go to college, you wanna know what the most important thing you can do? is to know God and study God's word well. Never apologize for that. You need that time. One more argument that Paul responds to. So he says, I didn't make it up. I didn't get it from mankind. But he also did confirm it with the people in Jerusalem. Because he says in verse 18, then after three years, so this is a, a long period of time, I finally went up to Jerusalem and I got acquainted with Cephas. Remember, there's no texting or technology back then, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. And he says in verse 19, that I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And so he had a chance in those 15 days to confirm this gospel, that even though it wasn't from man, it also backed up by other apostles like Peter and James, the Lord's brother. So why do I bring all of this up? Remember, my main point, if you go back to number one, you probably don't even remember it now. If we really believe the gospel, we will trust and we will treasure 
God's word. Why do I bring this up? I think part of the challenge today in 2019 is that the very idea of absolute truth and God's word is called into question. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people now and said, you know what, Pastor Rick, you know, that's good that you believe it, but that's good for you. It's not good for me. That works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Or I'm not going to trust a Bible that's over 2,000 years old. I mean, maybe Paul's just making this up. I mean, people are saying some of the same things now about the gospel and Paul that they were saying back then. And so even today, let me give you one good reason why you should believe the Bible and the gospel. You know what it is? The life of Paul. Paul says, look at me. I was a persecutor, and then I became persecuted for Christ. I was against Christ passionately, and then I became passionate for Christ. I hated anything to do with Jesus, and then I loved everything to do with Jesus Christ. Paul's like, look no farther that the gospel is real because of my life. I was not even seeking Christ, but he sought me out and made me a follower of him. In other words, Paul is saying you can trust the gospel. You can trust the Bible. Pastor John Piper has a great quote on this that I just absolutely appreciate. Let me share it. He says, we in the 21st century need to pause and let it sink in that we are listening firsthand to a man whose life overlapped with Jesus Christ in the first century. Do you get that? The apostle Paul's life overlapped with Jesus's, he says. Paul is claiming to have direct, authoritative revelation from Jesus who was alive from the dead. So either this man Paul is pathetically deluded, that's one option, or he's an imposter and he's lying through his teeth, that's another option, he's a liar. Or number three, he's telling the truth and he speaks as an apostle with the very authority of God. Your heart will embrace one of these three options and your life, let me say that again, your life hangs on that embrace. John Piper goes on to say, and I would agree, that I will simply bear witness with joy that in 60 years of walking with Christ, that's John, not me, 60 years of walking with Christ together with the Apostle Paul, I have not been able to find him a fool or a fraud. He's real. So just think about this. Number one, if you really believe the gospel, you will trust, you will treasure God's word, I mean, just think of right now in your current relationship to this book. Some of you are like, what is that? This is a Bible because, you know, you read it on your phone. But this is a Bible. This is really important. We don't just have the Word of God sitting on our shelf. We get to read the Word of God. If you are a person who believes the good news of Jesus, every day you will realize we get to read this Word. Isn't that amazing? That we get to have the exact words of God himself. I mean, do you ever just sit and look at this thing and like, wow. That's amazing that the Holy Spirit can speak to us now through the living word of God. There's a famous story of Billy Graham when he, I think he was in college in his early 20s, he was wrestling with, can I really trust God's word? And history has it, it's kind of almost legend now, that what he did was he took his Bible, he put it on a stump, I know that's a table, but he put it on a stump and he said, God, I'm going to trust you and take you at your word, that your word is living, it is active, and it does exactly what it says. And from that moment on, really the rest, as we say, is history and how God used him with the word of God. So do you really trust and do you really treasure God's word this morning in your life? Let's go to the second one. And if the first one didn't affect you, I think the second one will. 
If you really believe the gospel, this is how it transforms you. You will aim to please God more than man. Why don't you read number two with me out loud? You will aim to please God more than man. So if you really believe the gospel, if it really sinks into your heart, it's going to transform you and your relationship to everyone else. So look at what Paul says in verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with what other people think about you? I see some nods. Absolutely. And in some ways, that's not all bad. We should be considerate people. We should care what other people think at some level. And if you don't, you're probably just a jerk, just saying, you know, I mean, you should care, though, what people think at some level. But you shouldn't ultimately care what they think. Paul even says this because he was getting accused, like, some people are saying that I'm just trying to win the approval of human beings. That's not true. If I was still trying to please people, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, you and I, if we're honest, we struggle in this area. We care a lot what our parents think, what our teachers think, what our friends think, what people on social media think, what your pastor thinks, which you should always care what your pastor thinks. That's good. (laughs) But ultimately, you should care what God thinks. Proverbs 29, there's a lot of verses like this, but this is a very famous one. It says, the fear of man will prove to be a what? A snare. That's a trap. You and I know that if we try to please human beings, that gets us into all sorts of issues. And we see this all through Scripture. Uh, Just think of King Saul. I was thinking of a lot of different examples. King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, God told him to go in and destroy the Amalekites completely. And that bothers us today. That's another sermon for another day. But, But he did not listen. Even though he defeated them, he spared the best of their cattle and flocks, claiming he was going to use it in service to the Lord. And ultimately, Saul tells Samuel, I did this because I feared the people. This is why I didn't follow the Lord, because I feared the people. I mean, if you are a leader here this morning in any way, you cannot lead based on fear of people, because you will be a horrible leader. (laughs) Another way we see this work out in Scripture is with guys like Samson. Samson feared Delilah. He put Delilah's approval above anything else. And that got him in all sorts of situations. I mean, if you're dating or about to date at some point in your life, you cannot compromise your fear of the Lord with the fear of what that person is going to think about you. And if you are going to compromise it, let me just tell you, get out of that relationship now. Another example, Solomon, he had a thousand wives, which he tried to please, which by the way, is an impossible thing to please a thousand wives. Can't imagine. But that got him into all sorts of difficulties. Another example that we see in scripture of this, Ephesians 6 talks about when we serve our masters or our bosses, we are to do so not when they're just watching, not by way of eye service, but we are to do so as serving the Lord. I mean, how many of you know when you work in your workplace culture, if the boss man, boss woman comes around, people start working a little bit faster, a little bit harder, start kind of, you know, complimenting that boss a little bit more. That fear of man, even in the workplace, can prove to be a snare. Do you want to know how we drive out the fear of man? You know how we do it? 
we have to have a greater fear of God. And I'm not just talking about shaking in our boots, I'm afraid, but we have to have a greater respect, admiration, and awe of God. And the way we do this, this is getting really practical with the gospel, is that the gospel must become incredibly real to us. We must preach the gospel to ourselves daily if we're going to drown out the fear of man and increase the fear of God. Let me give you some examples. For instance, we have to say things like this. My acceptance is not in what man thinks, but what God thinks and what God has done. In the creator of the universe's eyes, I am dearly loved. When God sees me, he is well pleased because of Jesus Christ. I'm loved so much that God sent his son for me. He has lavished his love on me. You know, you think about the fear of man, what you're doing in that moment is you are trying to earn that person's approval and acceptance. But did you realize that we already have the approval and acceptance of God because of Christ? We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. It is settled. It is done. Jesus says it is finished. And when we take that gospel into our heart daily, that'll drown out the fear of man so that our number one audience is God. One of the signs that you fear man more than God is how do you respond to criticism when it comes your way? When somebody doesn't like you, how do you respond? It's normal to be upset by that. That's normal. If you're not upset, then you're probably just lying. But if it dominates you, if it consumes you, I mean, if you're mowing the yard, you're taking a shower, and you're just thinking about it, sweating over it, can't sleep at night, I mean, chances are the fear of man is more reality in your life than the fear of God. If we really believe the gospel, we will aim to please God more than man. Amen? Let's go to number three, the last one. If you really believe the gospel, and by the way, there's more than just three. There's way more. But here's one I really liked. You will be in awe of God's sovereign grace. You will have awe of God and what he's done. And this is what happens in Paul's life. Verse 15 When he's telling his story, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see what Paul's saying? Paul is saying that it wasn't necessarily me becoming a follower of Jesus, but it was more like Jesus making me a follower of him. It wasn't so much that I pursued God, but that God pursued me. And he has strong language. He set me apart from when? When does it say? My mother's womb. Say that with me. My mother's womb. God set him apart and called me by his grace. So even before he became a Christian, he's saying this was God's plan that I would do this, that I would meet him. And ultimately in verse 16, he would reveal his son in me so that I could become a preacher and a missionary among the Gentiles. So Paul is saying it wasn't my work. I was headed in the wrong direction. It was God's grace, his unmerited favor. God did it, and he simply did it because he was pleased to do so. And did you realize that that's the same in in our life too? That if you are a believer, it's simply because God was pleased to do so, that God gave you his grace. He set you apart from your mother's womb, and even before that, he called you. And I know this kind of language can be troubling because I preached on this a few weeks ago because when you start talking about this, well, what about free will, Pastor? What about freedom? What about all these things? And I would say, listen to my sermon three weeks ago first and come talk to me. 
But I think ultimately, even if you don't agree with me fully on this level of God being in control, you realize that at some level at least, that for you to become a, a believer, it took the divine intervention of God. Amen? None of us were smart enough to believe it. All of us are the chief of sinners, like Paul says. I mean, we should be in awe of God's sovereign, his kingly ruling authority and grace. It took God intervening, just like Paul, to make us a believer. So if we really believe the gospel, that kind of language won't bother us anymore. We'll appreciate it. We'll admit it. Yes, I agree, Paul. I'm just like you. And you'll be in awe of God's sovereign grace. You see, God is so much in control that when you think of Paul's life, I don't think God makes any mistakes because God did not waste Paul's past when he became a Christian. When Paul became a believer, I mean, who better to write a quarter of the New Testament than somebody who had most of the Old Testament, if not all of it, memorized? Who better to talk about how Christ fulfills the law than someone who knew the law? Who better to be one of the best missionaries ever than someone with a Jewish and Gentile background both, so he could be comfortable in both situations? I mean, God did not waste Paul's life, his past, and he doesn't waste your life either. (laughs) Whatever you've been through, whatever you've done, God can redeem in his sovereign grace. Isn't that amazing? So if you really believe the gospel, you will trust and treasure God's word. You will aim to please God more than man. You will be in awe of God's sovereign grace. And we're going to celebrate that grace here in a moment by taking communion together. And I want to invite Dean DeArmond, one of our deacons, is going to help me. And I want to invite the ushers as well. So ushers, you see me? There you go. You didn't see me the first service, but there we go. You guys can come in and begin distributing uh, the elements. You can come right here. This is fine. Yeah, you can grab that mic too. That'd be great. You know, I was thinking about communion. I think God knew that we would need to be reminded a lot of what he did for us, that he gave us communion. And I also think that God knew too that that if we're going to believe the gospel, it must not just be a head thing, but it has to be a heart thing. It has to work deeply into our heart. And I can be up here yelling or screaming, and that may not get the gospel into your heart. But one of the most practical ways the gospel gets into our heart is by taking communion together. Yeah, guys, you can come forward and start distributing it. Through communion, God makes the gospel real. So just a reminder that communion or the Lord's Supper is for anyone who's a believer in Christ. You don't have to be a member or a regular attender to partake. Uh, We do ask that you simply be a believer in Christ. And if you're not sure, uh, we ask that you do not partake and just watch what's going on. And so I've asked one of our deacons, Dean DeArmond here, he's going to read scripture here in just a moment. But let me just say, I am so thankful for our deacons, for Dean, and there's five other guys along with me. We meet weekly at the great hour of 6 a.m. to talk and pray and help shepherd our church together. You know, any challenges or issues I have going on, I bring it up to them and we bear the load together. So I wanted to bring Dean up here. Jerry Amstutz was in the first service just as a reminder that we have some great deacons here and that if you ever have any pastoral issues going on in your life, you can certainly talk with me, but you can talk with any of our deacons as well. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So, Dean, would you read 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 and following? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Thank you. So communion is a powerful reminder. The bread reminds us of Jesus' body broken for us. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. And then the cup reminds us of Jesus' blood, that it took Jesus' blood to pay for our sin. We're reminded of God's holiness, that it was only this option that could pay for sin. Yet we're also reminded of God's grace, that he was willing to do this for us, even though we're sinners. So holiness and grace come together perfectly at the cross. Dean just read that we ought to examine ourselves before we take. So we're going to give you a moment of silence to examine yourself. This is a great opportunity to confess sin and also receive God's mercy afresh. And be reminded that, yes, this is a somber time, but it's also a celebration. So why don't you take a moment of silence to do just that, and then Dean will pray in a few moments. Heavenly Father, as we come before you at this time, we, as we quietly reflect on our lives, we pray that you will help us to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, deal with anything in our lives that need to be dealt with. Those uh, places that are hidden from other people, Lord, but they're not hidden from you. We pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to work and guide in our lives. But also, this time of reflection, we want to always remember what you did for us. Um, let it never become commonplace. Let it never become just a ritual, Lord. But as we come to this time in the service, that we will really reflect on what you have done for us. And we thank you so much that your broken body and your shed blood, Lord, was what, what was able to bridge that chasm between us and you, Lord. Mm. And we thank you for that today. And these things we pray in your name. We're going to take the bread together in just a moment, but it says in Scripture, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, it says he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and take the bread and partake together. And then it says in verse 25, that in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
So let's drink the cup together in remembrance of Jesus. And then it says in verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So would you stand with me and pray? And then we're going to sing together. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us through Christ. Thank you for a reminder through communion of what you've done for us, how Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed. And thank you for the gospel, Lord, that it's not something that we just get over, but it's something we're called to cherish every single day, how it makes a real difference in how we view others and treat others and think about others, Lord, how it changes us from the inside out. And I pray that your gospel would do that this week in our people's lives. May it do so to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.